Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Healing in Redemption. Healing in redemption. The word, get this, before I move on to anything else, the word immediately in the Bible is used 55 times. 34 times is in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, particularly in the book of Mark. Oftentimes, you'll read. I mean, if you study the book of Mark, chapter 1 alone, and I'm, I'm actually in the book of right now, Mark right now in my own private devotional. But if you study the book of Mark, you'll see the word. I mean, you just highlight the word immediately. It's time. It's chapter after chapter, several times in some chapters. Jesus did things in an immediate manner. Whenever he healed, it was an immediate thing. Whenever he opened up blind eyes, it was an immediate thing. And so God's perfect standard, now I understand there are people who they've experienced progressive healing. There's people that they received the word, they kept declaring it, and the symptoms little by little left and strength regained. I understand that. But I want you to understand something, that God's best for you is immediate, instantaneous healing. God will some, he'll work with whatever level of faith you have. And some people have faith for progressive healing, and that's fine. They get healed over time, and that's wonderful. And I encourage that. But I want you to understand, you know, Paul said, still, I will show you a more excellent way. And the most excellent way God heals is instantly and right on the spot. Right on the, spot. the Bible calls this miracles of healings. And this is the type of faith that I'm coming into this broadcast with today. I'm believing God as the word of the Lord goes out that instantaneous healing is going to happen while I'm yet in speech, while you're yet listening to me, while you're yet paying attention. Just like in Acts chapter 10, Peter was speaking, and while he spoke, the Holy Ghost fell on them that heard the word. The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 2 and verse 2, that while he spake unto me, the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet. Some of you have been knocked down by sickness and disease. Some of your bodies have become weak through sickness and disease. I want to let you know, while I'm speaking, God's Spirit is entering in. If you'll believe what I'm saying from the Word of God, God's Spirit is entering into your body, quickening your mortal body, and setting you up on your feet. That's what my faith is set at. That's what my faith is targeted at today. I want you to write this in the comment section as a statement of faith. God will heal me today. God will heal me today. I know that there's a lot of religious teachings that fly in opposition to what I, what I just said and what I just encourage you to write in the comment section, but the reality of the situation is this. God is not trying to postpone your healing. God is not trying to push off your healing. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3 in verse 26 and 27, this is God speaking through Solomon by the Spirit, and he writes... Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due if it is in your power to help them now. Don't tell your neighbor, go away and come back tomorrow and I'll help you then when you have the ability to help him now. So is God a hypocrite? God is certainly not a hypocrite. Would God give 
Solomon, the inspiration to write those things down on pen and paper so that it can be transmitted throughout history and preserved in the Holy Scriptures, but he himself not uphold that standard in his own dealings with mankind? Certainly not. Now, how many of you have children? I have a child. If my boy doesn't feel well, he feels under the weather or whatever, I don't say, hey, you know, uh, you know, you got to hold off. You got to hold off. One day it's going to get better. My desire is to heal him immediately. If, if, um, if, if someone came up to a parent and said, hey, your child has cancer, uh, when would you like your child to be healed? No parent with a sane mind would say, ah, you know what? Let him go a few more rounds of chemo and we'll, we'll talk about it after that. No parent would ever say that. You're ludicrous. You're mad if you think that way towards your child. They'd lock you up in an institute. They, they, would, they would take your child with child services. They're, they'd lock you up. There's nobody in their right mind that would say, you know what, let him run through a few more rounds of chemo and then we'll, we'll reevaluate after that, see if he learned his lesson or not. If you, being evil parents, the Bible says, know how to do good things for your children. If you, you know, any sane parent would answer that question, when would you like your child to be healed? Any sane parent would say yesterday. Today is already too late. Well, if you have that compassion towards your child, how much more do you believe or do you think that God has compassion towards you when it, when in reference to your body being well and sound. God is not sadistic. God is not working some plan out mysteriously through this sickness and disease. That's exactly and precisely what the devil wants to get you to believe about the situation because if he can get you into a wrong system of belief about sickness and disease, then he can take advantage of you. But when the light of the word comes alive and you start to see healing in redemption, what I'm talking about today that the day of your healing is not some future tense thing. It's not, we're not waiting for death to be healed. Death did not redeem you. Death is not your savior. Death is not your healer. Jesus is our redeemer. In Christ is our redemption. His blood is the seal for the new covenant that we can have access to the great things of heaven. And so I'm not waiting to die before I tap into the benefit system of heaven. I'm going to do what David did, and I'm going to bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not, all, forget not all of his benefits today. He not only forgives all my sins, he heals all my diseases. And I'm going to show you the link between sin and sickness throughout the entire scripture and how Christ came to absolve us of them both. I want you to see something. You know, I talked about the word immediately in the Gospels. You study the book of Acts, and they continued that immediate program. The Bible says in Acts chapter 3, they got to the gate called Beautiful, and there was a man there who was a paralytic, a lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. And the scripture says that, they, that the man reached out to Peter and John asking for donations, asking for donations, saying, uh, can, you, can you help out a brother? Peter and John looked on them. And he said, look on us. And the man looked at Peter and John, giving him his attention. They said, silver and gold, I don't have. There's not enough, what they were saying is, not, there's not enough money in the world system. There's not enough money printed. It doesn't matter how much money they print. 
It doesn't matter how much gold they discover. There's not enough of it in the world to actually cure you of your paralysis. But he goes on to say, such as I do have, give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the Bible says immediately his ankle bones and feet were strengthened. And you know, if you've ever seen someone who's been a paralytic for a number of years, their muscles atrophy, and so they don't have muscles, they don't have the strength to stand up. So even if they were to get healed, their legs were to move again, it would be nearly impossible for them to stand up. God not only restored the mobility in his legs, God obviously recreated muscles on his legs because the scripture says his ankle bones and feet and legs were strengthened so that he leapt up, began to run and praise God. You can't do that if you were atrophied. That was a supernatural dealing, a supernatural manifestation of God's healing power. And the reason why it happened was because Peter and John did not say, hey brother, you know what? You have to understand, though you might be paralyzed here on earth, God's working something. They didn't give out excuses for too many years, and there's far too many preachers, that they try to give excuses as to why God's miracle healing power is not operating in their services or operating in in, in their region or whatnot, in their churches. And so they give excuses. They write books. Why things don't happen. Why things don't happen. You know, they, they write volumes of theological, uh, volumes of theological books and all that explaining away God's power. You know, sometimes we have to understand God in his sovereignty has, a, has different plans. Sometimes God in his sovereignty has another way. And, you know, if you weren't in that state of paralysis, you might not be able to reach certain people. And they come up with all these excuses when Jesus never gave excuses and the apostles never gave excuses. And people that have operated in miracles throughout history, namely Smith Wigglesworth, T.L. Osborne, Reinhard Bonnke, all these men of God that have efficiently ministered God's resurrection life to the people, they never, you study their preaching, you read their books. They're not telling people, you know, here's, here's why you can expect God to heal you today, but here's why sometimes God doesn't. He, they don't leave room for doubt. They don't leave room for excuses. They speak definitely because the word of God is spoken definitely. It's spoken in, there's an authority on God's word. There's no gray areas. I hate when people say not everything is black and white in the word of God. There's gray areas. There's no gray areas. The word of God is black, white, and sometimes in red. There's no gray areas. What God said, he meant, and he meant what he said. He wouldn't load the scripture with over 2,000 scriptures on divine healing, promising to heal your body if you are sick, just for him to throw in an ass at the bottom of the page refer to the notes in the back and when you study the notes in the back God also said but by the way maybe you're Job or by the way sometimes I throw knuckleballs or by the way sometimes I throw curveballs and we just got to make do if life throws you a lemon make lemonade that's not how God operates God's not trying to make life more confusing for you he wants to make things very clear and that's why Peter and John they were very definite. They were very authoritative in that case when they lifted the man up and they said, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. 
They didn't, they didn't say, hey, we don't know what God's going to do today, but let's just take a, let's take a, a, a shot at it. God, we're leaving this in your hands. If you, they didn't pray that way. Why did they have that confidence? Because they understood and had faith in the redemptive work of Calvary. They acknowledged the source of miracle healing power is it originates from Calvary. That's why they said, don't look on us as though by our own power or authority we've made this man to walk. Don't look on us as though we're special. We've only pointed him to Jesus. Notice how they said in the name of Jesus. What they were saying is, from what Jesus did, we release that same healing power to you. When you say in the name of Jesus and you, you pray for someone in the name of Jesus, what you're doing is you're saying, we acknowledge the defeat of Satan at Calvary and the victory of Christ. Victory over sin, victory over sickness, victory over poverty, victory over every bondage the enemy would throw on someone. We're, when we pray in the name of Jesus, when we take authority over something, in the name of Jesus, Peter and John understood what they were actually doing was they were acknowledging the triumph of the cross. And that's why the devil backed up for free. And so if you don't see healing in the redemptive work of Calvary, that healing is some random thing God does, that healing is something that is uh, 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 um, uh, mysteriously done, that healing is something that we don't really know whether God wants to do it or not. I mean, you got to think of it this way. If I ever preached a crusade, a gospel crusade, and I was encouraging people to put their faith in Jesus Christ for the salvation of sin, if I preached that crusade with the following points, who would get saved? If I said, sometimes we don't, uh, God chooses to keep someone in sin for a little while longer to work out his plan. Point number one. Number two, sometimes God does not will to save sinners. Number three, sometimes God is mysteriously working out his plan through sin. Number four, sometimes God uses sin to accomplish something else. If I preached that way, who would get saved? They would wonder whether they were one of the few lucky ones that can put their faith in Jesus for salvation. But there would always be that doubt. There'd always be that question of unbelief. That's why I don't believe and sign up to the doctrine of, of five-point Calvinism that tells people that they were they were uh, divinely elected. There was nothing they could do to accept Christ. They don't believe in prevenient grace. They, there was nothing they could do to accept Christ or reject Christ. It was already written before time whether they would be programmed to be saved or programmed to go to hell. And there's nothing they can do about it. And so uh, when you're born, you're either programmed one way or another. It, God's playing a game of duck, duck, damned. And if you're part of the damned, there's nothing you can do about it. I don't subscribe to that. Well, why is it? And I know many of you don't subscribe to that either because you probably wouldn't listen to my preaching because I'm very much not a five-point Calvinist but many people though they would never think that way and those watching right now you would never think that way concerning salvation from sin why do you allow that type of thinking and belief to run over into your into your belief about God's will to heal the sick See, just when I, you know, you have someone on YouTube, and I'm sure you're you're very um, you're very sincere in your comment. But someone wrote, some of our ailments are not healed instantly because maybe we're experiencing them to bring us to repentance or to humility. Think of it as refining to bring us back to God. God doesn't need the help of Satan 
to accomplish his work. And that's exactly the type of thought that I'm trying to target today. God doesn't need Satan's help. You have to understand the origins of sickness and disease is sin and Satan. John Alexander Dowie used to say that sickness is the foul offspring of its father Satan and its mother sin. Its father is Satan and its mother is sin. And so the original sin is what ushered in death in mankind. There was no sickness in the Garden of Eden. There will be no sickness in heaven. Sickness came as a result of the original fall. Jesus came to release us from not only the sin that came and the, the sin nature that came on as a result of the original fall, but the penalties and consequence of sin. And so the Bible says we are sanctified by the Spirit. We're not sanctified by sickness. And I know there's are scriptures in David's writings in the Psalms where he said it was good that I was afflicted or else I would, not, I would have never come back to the Lord. He's not talking about sickness and disease. He's saying, you know, if you do deviate from the path of God, things won't go well. Sin is a magnet for trial and trouble. And David acknowledged that. When I deviated from God's paths for my life, that's when things got tough. And it was good that I was afflicted so that I can come back. But that's not referring to sickness and disease. If you study the original word, the etymology of the word affliction, it never has anything to do with sickness and disease. It has to do with trials and tribulations. And, you know, the Bible says in the book of James, in dissecting sickness and affliction... And making contrast between the two, James and James 5 says, Are any among you afflicted? He should pray. But then he moves on, Are any among you sick? He doesn't have to pray for it. He should call for the elders of the church and he should ask them to anoint him with oil and pray the prayer of faith in Jesus' name and the Lord will save the sick and if he's committed any sin, he shall be forgiven. Now I'm not saying... If you live a lifestyle of, si of sin, then you are attracting sickness and disease to your life. If you live a lifestyle of habitual sin, I mean unrepented, deliberate sinning. I mean you are flying in the face of God. You know it and you refuse to turn. Just like Jonah got swallowed up by a whale, if you live that way and you don't repent, Jesus said, unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. You have put yourself on the playground of Satan for him to throw you around at will. But if you live in holiness and you've, you're living a life striving to please the Lord, the Bible says walking in a manner worthy of the gospel unto which you were called and you're sincere in your faith and you're reverent of God, God is not making you sick. And any teaching that says that flies in the face of the character, nature, and scriptures of God. The Bible makes it very clear. Acts 10.38. No doubt you know of Jesus of Nazareth. He went about doing good. And healing all that were oppressed by the devil. Healing all that were oppressed by who? The devil. Doesn't say you were oppressed by God. It says the oppression is satanic in nature. The healing is divine and heavenly in nature. And so until you get that wrapped up in your mind, you're never going to have the faith necessary to be healed. Because think of it, if you think that, say, that, that God is at the other end of your sickness, 
then what are you going to do about it? First of all, if you think, understand this, let's bring this, let's, let's narrow this down logically. Let's, bring, let's tackle this idea that God brings sickness on people who are his children, are living right. Let's narrow this down. Let's bring this down to the nitty gritty. Let's get this down to the root of that thought. If that's the case, why are you taking medication? Why aren't you just embracing the suffering and the pain? If that's the case, why are you going to a hospital to receive treatments? Hospitals are no longer places of mercy. They're places of rebellion because they're helping people break free from the very chastisement that God's trying to deal, that, deal them out with. Let's bring it down to the root, right? the, the, the root of that thought. If sickness is the will of God, then why is it that you're trying to break free from it? You should embrace it. You should hug it. It doesn't make sense, right? If sickness is, I mean, if you think sickness is God's will, I want you, let's go on a little field trip one day. I'll fly you out to Montreal and we'll go, I'll pay for the whole expense. I'll put you up in a hotel if you believe that. We're going to go into the child's cancer ward at the Montreal General Hospital, the Jewish General Hospital, and we're going to go through and see parents visiting their children who are puffed up because of chemo treatments, and we're going to go and look the parents in the eye, and I want you to look at them straight in the eye, and I want you to say, this is God chastising you. This is God trying to humble you. This is God trying to teach you a lesson. I want you to do that. I want you to do that and see if you leave that place without two black eyes and a strangled neck. Because if I was the parent of that child, that's what exactly how I'd react to you. It doesn't make sense. If you, I'm a, I'm a parent, I'm a father. When I look at my child and he's not feeling well, the thought that comes in my mind is immediately, I would gladly take that on myself if it meant he could be running again outside and playing with his friends. That's the thought. Well, who do you think put that thought there? Not the devil. That thought is the nature of God in me. And that's precisely what Jesus came to do. God laid on Jesus that which was keeping you bound so that we, Satan, can no longer lay on us what God already laid on Christ Jesus. Romans 8.23 says this, not only that, we also have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. A lot of people read that and they say, you see, our bodies haven't been redeemed. Our bodies have yet to be redeemed. Paul says, not only that, listen to the full scripture. We also who have the first fruit of the spirit are eagerly awaiting the redemption of our body. What Paul is saying is that we have the first fruit of redemption, which is healing for our bodies. But we're eagerly awaiting the full redemption of our bodies where we will put away this corruptible tent. We're going to put off this, this, this perishable thing. We're going to put off this body that is sown as an earthly body and we're going to put on a celestial body. So that scripture actually does the opposite of how most people interpret it. People interpret it as you see redemption for our bodies in a far distant thing when we get to heaven. When in reality, Paul is saying... We have healing now, but healing is great. But one day, you're not ever going to need to be healed. One day, you're going to put on the very body of Jesus Christ. The very stuff, the very substance Jesus is made up of that keeps him 
impermeable to sickness and disease. You're going to put that on. You're never going to experience fatigue anymore. You're never going to experience weariness anymore. You're never going to get tired. You're never going to have a long day of work anymore. You're going to have the full redemption of your body where the Bible says we will see Christ and we will be as he is for we shall see him as he is. We will literally look on him and in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, this Earthly will put on a celestial body. That's what Paul is saying. But he's saying right now, in this present age, we have the down payment, the first installment of what awaits us in heaven. The first installment being divine health and divine strength for your physical body. So I want to get in, I wrote down three, three points today for healing and redemption. And the reason why I wanted to bring an understanding, I don't want to just quote scriptures. I want to actually dissect the scriptures today and show you specific scriptures that uh, reveal the very truth that healing is part and parcel in the gospel. The reason why is because there's a lot of Christians, and I feel for them. That's why I do these broadcasts, because there's a lot of Christians that are sick. They, don't, they believe Satan is the one that's putting sickness on them. They, they believe that, uh, that God wants to heal them and all, but all they do is they just, they just quote the scripture. That's all they do. They just quote scriptures. By his stripes, I'm healed. By his stripes, I'm healed. By his... But there's no firm understanding as to what that means. There's no developed light. There's no insight in that. There's no revelation. It's all just information. The devil doesn't fear quotations. He himself quoted the scriptures to Jesus in the wilderness in Luke chapter four. You know what the devil fears? light he fears revelation he knows when someone has empty confession and the other one that confession is loaded with revelation and understand this G satan who is the prince of darkness operates in darkness and so sickness is a work of darkness and the answer to darkness is light revelation the weakness of darkness is in the presence of light Darkness is cheaply eliminated from your life the moment light comes on the scene. I didn't have to fast and pray to turn these lights on. I just had to pay the hydro bill and then turn the lights on. Many people think they have to fast and pray to get healed. When you fast and pray, healing can spring forth speedily. Isaiah 58 says that. But you don't, you don't have to. You, you know, when you understand what I'm about to tell you today, get this. Pay attention to what I'm about to say. When you understand what I'm about to tell you today, you don't have to fast and pray for your healing. You don't have to even call for the elders of the church and have them anoint you with oil to be healed. You don't even have to, uh, you don't even have to be in church Sunday morning to, 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 to receive your healing. This Sunday morning, believe in, you know, Sunday morning is my day. You don't have to wait that long. You can be healed right here and right now simply by understanding what I'm about to say. And if you're watching now and you have an incurable sickness, incurable disease, something the doctors have said, there's no hope for you. Something the doctors have said, you're going to have to live with it the rest of your life. Or maybe they've given you a terminal diagnosis in which you have uh, several months to live or maybe a couple of years to live. Maybe they said what you have, the life expectancy is very low and it's put fear in you. I'm here to tell you, if Jesus was able to speak, Lazarus come forth, and not poor blood pressure be healed, no blood pressure be healed. He was dead for four days. Jesus did that so he can show you that he specializes 
in the impossible. He specializes in the incurable. He specializes in the unchangeable. That's precisely where Jesus specializes. So don't overemphasize what the doctor reported about you and then under, underemphasize what the word of God reports about, about you. Don't overemphasize what the doctors have said concerning you and then underemphasize what God said about you. Learn to put emphasis on the word. Yes, the doctor said, you got six months to live. Yes, the doctor said, you're going to have to do dialysis every week. Yes, the doctor said, you're going to have to receive treatment all the time. But God's word says, by his stripes, you are healed. And so if there's, an, if there's a dysfunctional organ in your body, if there is an organ that even is missing, if there is an organ that had to be removed, if there's anything that's in you that's not quite functioning properly, if Lazarus, who was dead, not only experienced healing, but whatever sickness he had and whatever was not functioning in his body that resulted in death in the first place was healed because Lazarus lived many years after that. So it's not like he died, rose again, but then he still was sick and he died three more days later. He died, Jesus not only resurrected him, but that resurrection life went to undo every incurable thing in his body that resulted death in the first place. Hallelujah. So get this in your heart today. And I want you to write this in the comment section. Nothing is hard for God. It's not like he looks at stage four cancer and he's like, my goodness. Angels, can you come play a harp? I need to think, what am I going to do here? I need some peace. That's not how God thinks. It's not the reality of who God is. The Bible says that nothing is too difficult for him. The Bible says there's anything too hard for the Lord. Nothing is impossible for him. The scripture says that his right hand does valiantly. He healed the lepers. If you have problems in the flesh, eczema, leprosy, boils, skin problems, dry skin, whatever, the healing power of God holds dominion over diseases of the flesh. He healed the leper. Leprosy is like almost the worst thing you can have. Melanoma, whatever it is. Leprosy is the worst thing you can have. Your body farts just fell off. Well, if he dealt with diseases of the flesh and the structural makeup of the body in those days, he still holds dominion over that today. You can be healed in your flesh. Diseases of the blood. When Jesus healed the, uh, Simon Peter's mother-in-law who had a fever, fevers reside in the blood. And he took dominion over that disease of the blood. If he did it then, he still holds dominion today. God can cure. If you have AIDS in your body, God can cure AIDS. If you have blood pressure problems, God can regulate them. If you have sickle cell anemia, God can, God can do something about that. If you have iron deficiencies or any other type of deficiency, the dominion of God's power, miracle working power, can subdue any enemy sent against the, the bloodstream in your body. You look at the... At the centurion servant whose servant was dreadfully tormented and paralyzed. That's diseases of the neural system. ALS. Multiple cirrhosis. Anything that has to do with the cervical area of your... Uh, it's not the cervical. The brain. The, the brain area. Cervical is French. Anyways. The brain area. The, 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 your, your neurological system. In charge for your mobility and all that. God's power... The Bible says Jesus just spoke the word and his servant was healed in that same hour. God's power can, 
can help you in your brain. If it's a, a learning problem, if it's chemical imbalances in the brain, God is going to touch your brain today. But it comes down to this, understanding healing and redemption. I want to read one scripture and then I'm going to get into the three points. Job chapter 33. Job chapter 33. Job 33 and beginning with verse 21. Job said, his flesh wastes away from sight and his bones stick out which once were not seen. It's talking about someone who's obviously suffering of a, a pretty rough, pretty rough physical infirmity. His bones sticking out. You know, the Bible says of Job that his, his flesh was coming out, that he, was, he had a skin disease that he was scraping with uh, shards of, of potsherd, the Bible says. Bible says his flesh wastes away from sight, his bones stick out with one, which once were not seen. Yes, his soul draws near to the pit and his life to the executioners, meaning this guy was dying. Given over to death. Verse 23. But if there is a messenger for him. Oh, hallelujah. That's what I'm doing today. I'm a messenger. A mediator. One among a thousand. Who will show man his uprightness. Then God will be gracious to him. And say, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. That's talking about redemption. Deliver him from going down to the pit. Deliver him from death. Why? Because I found a ransom. I found a payment. Redemption means to be bought back, to be purchased. That ransom was Jesus Christ. And look at what Job says the result of that redemption will be. Verse 25. His flesh shall become like a young child's. Oh, hallelujah. He shall return to the days of his youth. Youthful vigor and energy. He'll pray to God and he will delight in him. For he will see his face with joy. He will restore to man his righteousness. Then you skip over to 28. He will redeem his soul from going down to the pit. And his life shall see the light. Job says that there is a man whose life was abhorring bread, his soul succulent food. He didn't want to eat anymore. Oftentimes when people are sick, they lose their appetite. His flesh was wasting away. His bones were sticking out. And then Job cries out, if only there was a messenger, if only there was someone that can tell him that there's a mediator, that there is a redeemer, a ransom for his life then everything would turn around. His flesh would become like that of a child's and his strength would return to his youth. And that's what I'm here to tell you today. There is a spiritual point, number one. There is a spiritual connection between sickness and sin, both of which Jesus has redeemed us from. Mark chapter two. This is the Bible. Mark chapter 2, and again he entered Capernaum, and after many days it was heard that he was in the house, and immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. So when Jesus preached on redemption and what he came to do, it didn't thwart people away, it wasn't a repellent, it drew people in. It drew the sick in. Why would the sick come to Jesus unless his redemption plan, when he preached the kingdom of God, he included healing from their sicknesses and diseases. 
The Bible says in Luke chapter 5, they came to hear him and be healed of their infirmities. The Bible says in Luke 5, 17, that it came to pass on a certain day, certain scribes and Pharisees and teachers of religious law came to hear Jesus and the power of the Lord was present there to heal them. So when Jesus spoke, obviously his words included provision for sickness and disease, provision of health, provision of strength. The Bible says they brought to him all that were sick. Why did they do that? Because he brought the kingdom. And the kingdom of heaven is not meat and drink. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. He preached the word to them. Then they came to him and bring in a paralytic who was carried by four men. And they could not come near him because of the crowd. See, when you start to preach what I'm preaching today, the problem you have is not how am I going to fill my church seats. The problem you have is we don't have enough seats to... To, to bring all the crowds that are, usher, are, are coming in. The problem we have, there's, you know, there's a guy in Nigeria, Bishop David Oyedepo. He, he has a problem every Sunday. He has a seat, a stadium of 50,000 seats, but he has 500,000 people that come every single Sunday, sometimes a million. And so they have five, five different sessions, five different services, and he still has overflow in every single service. Because you have 500,000, you have a 50,000 seater, that's 250 that you can pack in over five services, but you still have 250,000 people waiting outside. And I have a friend that went and he said there was a million people one Sunday. So when you preach these things, it draws people in because people are drawn to Jesus and Jesus is a healer. People don't want to come and hear your thoughts on life because they're garbage anyways. People don't want to come and hear you rant off about the government. People want to come and connect with the God of heaven and receive the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And when you don't preach on the healing Jesus, you're depriving a generation of God's healing power, something God is eagerly wanting to do. Let's return to primitive Christianity. Let's return to Bible basics. Let's return to preaching what the You want to know why we're not getting what the disciples had, which was an overflow of people, an influx of crowds and multitudes that were thronging them? You want to know why? Because many have abandoned primitive Christian preaching and doctrine and have surrendered to modern principles and Meant, you know, like self-help principles and, 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 and modern opinions about who Jesus is rather than just reading the scripture and plainly delivering to the people what Jesus did then, he wills, he wills to do today. But look at this. These four men come in. When they could not come in because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, he rebuked them and said, you guys have been dwelling around faith preachers too long. You think you can just twist my arm, interrupt my meeting. What kind of nerve? I didn't come here to heal people. I came to save sinners. And, and you're interrupting my work here. That's not what Jesus said. The Bible says when he saw their faith, he was impressed. And he said, son, your sins are forgiven you. Remember, I'm talking about point one, the spiritual connection between sickness and disease. They're connected. They're interlinked. I said it before. John Alexander Dowie used to say that sickness is the foul offspring of its father, Satan, and its mother, sin. Those are the two 
components necessary in producing sickness and disease. It's the two sources of sickness and disease. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you. I'm sure if I was the paralytic, I would have been there saying, what do you mean my sin? I didn't come here to get my sins forgiven. Can't you see? I can't walk. I want to walk. Even the Pharisees said, this man blasphemies, who, blasphemes. Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves. He said to them, why are you reasoning these things in your hearts? Which is easier for me to say to the paralytic? So understand, Jesus said, what is easier for me to say? Meaning, I can say one thing or the other. Both will accomplish the same thing. He said, what's easier for me to say? Son, your sins are forgiven? Or, rise up, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power or dominion on earth over sin and to forgive sin, I say to the paralytic, rise up, take up your bed, and walk. And he immediately, there it is again, immediately. So you see, when that revelation came on the paralytic, that my paralysis was connected to original sin. I'm not saying if you're paralyzed or if you have something, you had a car crash and something happened that you, you, you it's because of sin that you, you were sinning and that's why it happened. I'm not saying that. I'm saying all things that revolve around sickness and disease were made possible by original sin. But when you realize that Jesus came to redeem us of sin and every branch of sin. So we're not targeting the sickness branch. Jesus said, let's target the sin issue and the sickness branch. Will f if we just uproot the sin problem, we can get rid of the branches and the problems produced by the fruit coming from the branches. There's people that are, uh, you know, we need, no we need new gun laws. We need new gun laws because there's, there's gun issues in America. You can dislaw you, you can outlaw every single gun in America and there's still going to be black market guns purchased and there's going to be people killing people with cars and vehicles and all because people are trying to tackle the branches. Same thing goes for sickness and disease. Don't target the branches. Get to the very issue of it all. Understand that when the sin problem was removed, the sickness problem followed suit and has to, has to leave. That's why Isaiah 53 says, surely he has borne my sicknesses and he has carried my pains. Yet we esteemed him smitten, stricken of God. But he was afflicted. He was, the Bible says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. So that dealt with the sin problem. The moment he was pierced and the blood came from his hands and his feet, the blood shed was for the remission of our sins. But Isaiah doesn't finish there. He prophesies. 800 BC, he says, the suffering servant, the Messiah, he's not only going to be pierced in his hands, by his stripes, he'll purchase healing for your body. By his stripes, we are healed. Do you think Jesus took a pit stop at the whipping post just because he had nothing better to do that day? Everything was to fulfill the words of Isaiah the prophet, prophesied 800 years before Christ ever walked the earth. Jesus could have gone straight to the cross and taken nails in his hands and the blood shed from there would have been more than enough to remove the problem of sin and sin alone. But the Bible says, prophesying redemption, 
That redemption not only included forgiveness of our sins, but that Jesus would take a momentary pit stop at a whipping post wherein he would receive lashes on his back that through the lashes he took, the blood shed on those, from those lashes would purchase our physical healing and, and, and strength for our body. Some of you are new to this broadcast, so I'm going to tell it. When I got saved, I had obsessive compulsive disorder for eight years, from, 20, from, uh, from, from the age of 12 to 2020. I got, uh, 2012, sorry, from the age of 12 to 2012. When I got saved in 2012, I had learned that Jesus, the redemption of Christ, was for sin only. That was it. That God will forgive you of sin. That's all I learned, grew up in church. That's all I've ever uh, knew from the Bible, that Jesus will forgive us of sins and that one day we can make heaven. But the sickness problem and the mental illness and all that, you're gonna have to deal with. That's just part of life. You know, we live in a fallen world. That's all I knew about it. And as long as I bought that lie, I stay, even though I was saved and even though all these things were written in the Bible, the truth was there, but I didn't know it. And what you don't know will kill you. I know people say ignorance is bliss, but not in things pertaining to the word of God. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is a risk. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is a risk. Because Jesus said, you shall know the truth. And the truth that you know shall set you free. And so I remember my pastor used to bring me into the office because I came up with all kinds of stuff. Maybe this is Paul's thorn in the flesh. You know, I lived a life away from God all these years. It's only natural that now I have to suffer in my flesh and I have to go through all this. And my pastor explained Paul's thorn in the flesh was never a sickness and disease. And if uh, you'd like to know more on that, we have a YouTube video that I put out on what was Paul's thorn in the flesh. And it's very, very informative and revela uh, revelatory. I'd encourage you to, 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 to watch that after this broadcast. It'll help you. And it'll equip you, actually, whenever someone else comes out and says, maybe this is Paul's thorn in the flesh, you'll have the contextual explanation for Paul's thorn in the flesh. And so I, heard, I had learned that, and uh, my pastor just debunked it all. He taught me contextually in the scripture what Paul's thorn in the flesh indeed was. And so I debunked that. And then one day I was listening to a preacher on my iPad and I remember him going through Isaiah 53. He bore our sickness. He carried our pains and by his stripes were healed. Well, I had enough religion at the time to say, well, that was Jesus, you know. Uh, I mean, that was the Old Testament. You know, we're, we're not in the Old Testament anymore. We're in the New Testament. So the preacher must have heard my thoughts because he moved on into the New Testament. In Matthew 8, 16 and 17, it says that Jesus healed all that were sick with whatever disease they had. At evening, they brought all the sick to him. He healed the sick. He cast out the demons with his word so that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. And then he goes out and quotes, Matthew quotes Isaiah 53, that he bore our sickness, carried our pains. Well, then I said, well, that was Jesus. You know, Jesus is, he's in heaven now, and so he's not much good to me right now, right here. He doesn't heal that way anymore. I'm sure when he, if Jesus were to show up to me right now and, and just come into this room, he'd lay hands on me and heal me, but he's in heaven, so that can't happen. The day of miracles is gone. That's what I was thinking. And then the preacher must have thought that because he moved into 1 Peter 2, 24, where it says he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on that tree, that we being dead to sin might live to righteousness. Once again, you see the connection between sin, and then Peter goes on to say, by whose stripes ye were healed, past tense, pointing us back to, pointing us back to the cross, pointing us back to what Jesus accomplished at Calvary. So you have three scriptures there where the Bible ties 
the sickness problem to the sin problem that man has and man had. When I saw that, I kid you not, when I heard by his stripes, you were healed, past tense, I realized at that moment that I didn't have to wait any longer to be healed. You know, in the Emancipation Proclamation that was signed, and uh, the slaves in America were set free at that moment. It was signed in the north of the United States. But for two full years, the slaves in the south remained as slaves because it had not reached. That's why they celebrate Juneteenth. Juneteenth is literally the, uh, the, 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 the official date where all of America... Uh, all, of, all of the slaves in America were set free because, because we didn't have Twitter. It's not like, you know, Abe Lincoln can get up and just say, hey, uh, by the way, all slaves are free. You can go back to your regular... Sk-. It's not, how it, was not how, it, how it happened. They had to have someone literally take the news and bring it to the South and throughout all of America. And so as each town and each village received the good news, those that were in slavery... We're able to, dec- they didn't have to wait any longer. Legally, I mean, at that point, it was illegal for them to remain a slave. So they proclaimed their liberty. They rose up and left. But there were many slaves down in the southern Texas area that hadn't received the news until two full years later. And they remained as slaves, even though they were free. And that's how a lot of Christians are right now. They've been free 2,000 years ago at the cross at Calvary, the emancipation was signed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You were free. The prison doors were open. The cell was open. The chains and shackles fell. You were free. But there's too many people that are sitting in their prison cell waiting for someone to come and tell them. And that's why I'm here to tell you. Jesus was made sinful on that cross so you could be made righteous. And Jesus was made sick on that cross so you could be made whole and well and healed and strong and vital. So when I saw that, I realized I don't have to reach for, for healing. I can look back. Numbers 21, the Bible says that when the Israelites complained against God and they said, Would we be back, or we would rather be back in Egypt, at least there we had food. Now we have to eat this miserable bread called manna, and they complained against the Lord. And the Lord sent fiery serpents, which represents sin and the curse of sin. And it fastened on many of the Israelites, and they began to die. And Moses cried out to the Lord, Lord, let's have this stop. He interceded. You know what the Lord told him to do? He didn't say, okay, watch this. No, he said, I want you to get a wooden pole. And then I want you to, you see the fiery serpents that are circulating around the camp of the Israelites, releasing venom into their bloodstreams that's resulting in their death. I want you to take the form of that serpent and I want you to design a bronze serpent and put it on the wooden pole. And then I want you to instruct the people not to pray to me, not to ask me for anything. I want you just to simply give them this instruction. Look to the bronze pole as Moses lifts it up and it shall come to pass that everyone who looks to the brazen serpent shall be made well. And that's exactly what happened. Why? The serpent, understand this, the serpent represents sin, poisoning the human race since Adam, wherein the root of all sickness and disease came from. No theologian would do that. Uh, No theologian would debate that. No theologian would debate 
that the fiery serpent represents sin spreading throughout the entire human race. Catholic, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, doesn't matter. They would not debate that. There was no... There was no... There's been no debate around that. Ever. But I want you to understand something. The fiery serpent that was producing sickness in their body that resulted in death, when the Israelites looked to the brazen pole, the brazen serpent on the pole, not only were they forgiven, it's not like they were forgiven, but, you know, they still died from the poison. They were forgiven and healed. Because that pole represents the cross. The fiery serpent represents the curse laid on the pole, on the cross. Which the Bible says when Jesus hung on the cross, he redeemed us of all the curse of the law being made a curse for us. The curse was laid on Jesus just like the serpent was laid on that pole. So that when we look to the cross, we can see our sins laid on Jesus. We can see our sicknesses laid on Jesus. And that we can see that that was the great substitutionary work of heaven. The beautiful exchange wherein we can give God our illness and our sickness and he'll give us his health we can give him our sin and our unrighteousness and he'll give us his holiness and his righteousness we give him our ashes he gives us his beauty there's nothing the israelites had to do at that moment when i saw in those three scriptures i was on my living room chair i was watching a youtube video of a preacher preaching me exactly what i'm telling you right now I was not dignified in how I looked. I was in a, 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 a white tight tank top with, I think I had some salsa dip probably dripping off my face because I was eating as I was listening to him. And then all of a sudden, my mouth went open. And I realized, I'm free. And I tell you, in that moment, listen to this. In that very moment, I saw a vision of Jesus Christ being tied to a wooden pole where they used to, tie the, the people they were going to scourge. And he was taking lashes on his back. He was taking whips on his back. And I looked to him and he looked back to me. And I kid you not, this is what happened. He opened his mouth and I couldn't make out his face. It was all bloodied. And he said, I did this so that you could be made whole. I had OCD for eight years at that moment. The moment he said that, I didn't have to strive. I didn't have to struggle. I just believed. A light went on. And I kid you not, from the top of my head to the soles of my feet, I felt the healing power of God like electricity run through my body. And that was in 2012. We're 10 years later. And I'm celebrating 10 years of freedom. I didn't go back to the same doctor. I didn't have to do it. I, I went back to the doctor so he can re-diagnose me. And he said, well, if you're fine, you're fine. He said, is there anything else I can do for you, sir? He said, you didn't do anything for me in the first place. Jesus healed me. Jesus redeemed me. Jesus set me free. Jesus delivered me. That same Jesus that healed me is ready and on standby right now to heal you. But you have, the same way you receive salvation for your spirit, you have to receive salvation for your body. The same way you receive salvation for your spirit. Did you have to beg for salvation? Did you have to, God, I pray, please save me. I know that 
I know that you might be busy, but no, you just said, God, I receive your salvation plan for me. I receive your forgiveness. I re- the same thing works when you're talking about healing. I receive your healing. I accept it as a finished work in my life. I call it done. I call it done. Just as Jesus was the object of my sin bearing so that I can be righteous, Jesus is the object of my sickness bearing so that I can be healed. And that's how you got to see it. When that light comes alive, that's what Jesus said, which is easier for me to say, you're forgiven or you're healed. They both are covered in the same redemptive work that I'm about to accomplish at Calvary. That's what he said. That's why when Paul in Acts chapter 14, he goes to Lystra and he's preaching the gospel there. And we know that Paul's gospel included healing because the man that was lame, an impotent who had never walked, heard Paul preaching and the Bible says he had faith to be healed. Obviously, Paul's gospel included healing or else the man would have just had faith to be saved. But Paul made it clear. Paul made it very clear. The Siamese twins of hell, sin and sickness, have been destroyed by the Siamese twins of heaven. Righteousness and health and healing. And you don't have to wait. The man had faith to be healed. Paul didn't say, hey, you're getting ahead of yourself. You know, there's other people. There's other people that have worse things than paralysis in their legs, and we should let them have prayer for... He he didn't. He he even interrupted his meeting. He said, stand up. Don't have to wait till I'm finished preaching. That's why I'm here to tell you right now. You don't have to wait till I'm finished teaching on this. You don't have to wait for Sunday service. You don't have to wait for Orlando when I come in July. You don't have to wait for the next revival meeting. You can receive your healing here and now by simply lifting your hands and saying, Father, I thank you that just as you covered the sin issue you've covered the healing the the sickness issue i thank you that just as satan has no ability to influence my spirit any longer through sin he no longer has ability to influence my body any longer through sickness and disease i receive you jesus as savior of my soul and spirit i receive you today as savior of my body and that's it that ends it all Point number two, this I'm going to cover briefly, but I have to, because a lot of people hear healing, and the first, the only thing they think about the entire time is, what about Job? And by the way, I did a full teaching on what about Job on my YouTube channel. You should listen to that too. What about Job? Job was sick, and God allowed it. First of all, just because God allowed something does not mean, uh, does not mean that it, it, it's, it's what he wills. The Bible says it wasn't God that made Job sick. The Bible says Satan went forth from the, from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with boils. So what about Job? People always say God made Job sick. That's not scripturally correct. The Bible says Job was made sick by Satan. Satan, Job 2.7. Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with boils. Now what about Job? First of all, we have to make some distinctions between you and Job. We have to contrast you and Job. We have to compare and contrast the both of you because you're not Job. Well, I'm a brother. I just feel like I'm Job. You're not Job. Job is not a book designed 
to get you to just understand what you're going through. Job was a book designed to give the believer, the born-again, blood-bought, blood-washed believer, a deep appreciation and gratitude for what Jesus came to do. Job 9.33, Job cried out for a redeemer. In the middle of the trial, in the middle of everything he was going through, and the devil was ransacking his home, this is what Job said, nor is there any mediator between us, him and God, who may lay his hand on me and God. Let him take his rod away from me and not dread, let dread of, ter- of him terrify me. He says, if I had a mediator, I would speak and not fear him, but it is not so with me. Job cried out for a mediator. If there was just one who could put his hand on my life and his hand on God and make peace between us two, I know that this problem would stop, but I have not. He said, it's not so with me. What Job cried out for, you have in Christ Jesus. Jesus is our mediator. 1 Timothy 2, we have one mediator between God and man, and it is the man, Jesus Christ. You have a mediator. So you don't have what Job had. Number two, Job didn't have a Bible to go and point to scriptures and say, God, this is anti-covenant what I'm experiencing. Your word says that if I'll serve you, you'll bless my bread and water and take sickness out of, my, out of our midst. You see, Charles, I'm sorry, brother, but if I'm not getting through to you, then this is not the right broad. I mean, I hope, I hope that God will open up your eyes, but please stop distracting my viewers. And viewers, please stop uh, entertaining his comments because he's obviously just here to, you know, give his opinion and take over. So just ignore his comments. God doesn't allow us, doesn't make us sick, but allows it to happen. Yeah, of course. He allows anything. He'll allow you to go and rob a bank. We live in a fallen world. When you get to heaven, that stuff won't be present. I'm explaining to you exactly right now that you don't, I've just said it, I, gave, I took a whole hour and eight minutes to explain that you don't have to, you don't have to wait for heaven, you can have it now. And Charles, I'll give you $1,000 if you can point me to a scripture that says, Jesus told the leper or told somebody, brother, you wait until heaven and you'll have it there. I'm not here to help you now, I'm here to help you then. Until then, you're on your own. I'll give you $1,000. It doesn't happen because it doesn't, it doesn't exist. It's not in the Bible. Don't read books on the Bible and ignore what the Bible actually says. There's a lot of people who read books by certain men, and I can name names, man. I can name names, but I won't because I'm more gracious than that. But I can name names of ministers who, don't, who are sick, who struggle with some sort of perpetual long-standing issue, and... Uh, and they write books on why they're still sick and you know what's happening. It just and there's no scripture to it. It's all just his own opinion, his own my you know, my experiences. I don't care. In all respect, I don't care about what someone's experience is. I let all men be liars, but God be true. Romans chapter three and verse four. Anyways, Job didn't have the Bible. He couldn't point to a scripture in the Old Testament. There was no Old Testament. Job, chronologically, though it might be uh, placed in the middle of your Bible, it's right before the book of Psalms, Job, chronologically, happened in the times theologians believe that it was somewhere between Noah and Abraham, potentially in the days where Abraham was on the earth, but 
Most likely between that gap of Noah to Abraham. That's when the life of Job uh, transpired. And so in that time, the only covenant God had with man was this. As long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and summer, Cold in winter, uh, snow and sun, or cold in snow, whatever it is. Seed time and harvest, winter and summer will not be done away with as long as the earth remains. Covenant one and then covenant two was you have bruised man's heel, but one will come from his loins that will bruise your head, crush your head. The promised seed, the Messiah that would one come. That's the only that would one day come. That's the only covenants that, that Job had knowledge of. He didn't have the revelation that we have today with both the Old Testament and the New Testament. He didn't know God as healer. There wasn't proof. There wasn't anything that he can stand on that God healed the sick. He didn't know God as the restorer. He didn't know God as those things. We do. Not only do we have the Old Testament and we see it in the Mosaic Covenant. I mean, you think of it. If under the Old Covenant... The Bible says God brought his people out of Egypt with silver and gold. Though Egypt being a type of the world. And God brought his people out of the world with silver and gold. And there was none weak or sick amongst all their tribe. So he didn't just bring them out of Egypt, but they were weak, sick, and poor. He brought them out. There was none weak, none sick. And they had all their needs met and an abundance to do everything God called them to do. If God did that under the old covenant, we're for 40 years. It's like you had old people in that tribe. You know, there were 90-year-olds, 80 years. None of them had to say, hey, Moses, can we hold off? My back's, my back's giving out. Mo uh, Moses, can you hold off? My, my back is, is, is really hurting. My feet are killing me. We're going to have to take a few days to just camp by, by this place. That's not what... They did. The Bible says there was no hindrance. They just, they kept on moving. They followed the cloud by, night, by day and the fire by night. If God did that under the old covenant, we have a better covenant based and established on better promises. Well, something for it to be better than something else. If something is better than something else, then it has to at least include what something else was and more. It has to at least include what the other thing was and more. So if under this new covenant, if under the old covenant healing was provided, but under the new covenant healing is not provided, then we have to go back to the old covenant because it was obviously better. But it's provided under both covenants. Jesus came as the mediator of the new covenant. How did he mediate that new covenant? Everywhere he went, they brought to him all that were sick and diseased and laid them on beds and couches to wherever they heard he was. And he, the Bible says, he touched, as many as touched the hem of his garment were made well of whatever disease they had. Jesus mediated the new covenant by enforcing health into the people's bodies. So if Jesus is, if Jesus was more compassionate towards the sick then, then he is now, then obviously he's changed. But he's not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So if he mediated the covenant then in such manner, healing sickness and healing all diseases, then he continues to mediate in that same manner. He's still a healer. Job didn't have that knowledge of Jesus. Job didn't have the new covenant, the New Testament, that says that by his stripes ye were healed. 
He couldn't point to those promises. He couldn't point to Calvary and say, God, how I refuse to be sick. You said in your word that Jesus bore my sickness and carried my pains. He didn't have that available to him. We do. That's why Jesus said, I know that my Redeemer lives. He shall yet stand on the earth. But until then, he... He couldn't, he, couldn't take, he couldn't take part in, in the benefits of what Calvary did for us. And then another thing I'll say is for everyone that says, I, I feel like Job or, you know, I, I just feel like, I just feel like uh, I'm Job and, and that's why I'm sick and that's why I feel this way. Job's whole ordeal lasted about 18 months. Scholars believe it was 18 months from the beginning to the end. And at the end of the book of Job, remember, Job didn't die sick, poor, and, you know, destroyed. The Bible says at the end of the book of Job, God restored everything Job had lost and double. So in 18 months, whatever Job had lost, he had double at the end of the book. It's funny how everybody loves to focus on the trial and, and, and the, the problems Job faced. But read this in James. I love this scripture. I read this not long ago, and it really... It steered me up. In James chapter, James chapter 5 and verse 11. Indeed, we count them blessed who endured. You've heard of the perseverance of Job. And you've seen the end intended by the Lord. That the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. So for everyone that says, look to Job, you know what you're going through. You're just Job. And you just focus on the suffering part of Job. James, by the inspiration of the Spirit, tells you where your, your focal point should be when studying Job. He said, consider the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. So don't focus on the problems of Job. Focus on that God healed Job. What about that part of Job? God healed Job. God restored Job. God helped Job. What about that part of Job? Within 18 months, he went from... The, the, the greatest of, of all the men in the East to the absolute greatest of all the men on planet Earth. Because whatever sheep he had, he had double. Double for his trouble. That's right, sunshine. Let's focus on that part of Job. And then as I said before, you don't, you're not Job. We're not waiting for the mediator. We're looking back to what the mediator already done. What I already has done. We're looking back to what Jesus already did. We're looking back to what already has been accomplished at Calvary. 3 John verse 2 says, Beloved, now, in light of all of redemption, he says, Beloved, John the Apostle, I would that you would prosper and be in good health as your soul prospers. John, by the inspiration of the Spirit, says, Now that we're redeemed, not only do I want your soul to prosper, I would that you would be in good health as well. Number three point in healing and redemption is you have to understand your spiritual heritage, that you are the seed of Abraham. The Bible says if you are Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The Bible says in Genesis 12, God blessed Abraham. Abraham was blessed. So when you look to Abraham's life, you can see what the blessed life looks like. You can, look what, you can look and see what the blessing looks like. Abraham wasn't sick. Abraham wasn't weak. Abraham was so strong that at like 90 years old, he led out two 
uh, 300 trained men to war against the, the, the kings, the five kings that had come against Sodom. He led an army of 300 men and went to war at like 80 or 90 years old. That's not, that's not healthy. That's supernaturally strong. That heritage is yours through Christ Jesus. That inheritance, that same strength is available to you because you're blessed with believing Abraham. Galatians 3 says, Beloved, we who are of the faith are blessed with believing Abraham. And that blessing is not ethereal. You know, how many of you know we have joy even though we're sick? That blessing overrides Everything sin would try to set up in your life. The blessing of God is the answer. It like overturns everything sin brought on the human race. So when the Bible says you are blessed and no man can curse whom God has blessed and no devil can curse whom God has blessed, you have to see yourself that way. Sickness is listed as a curse. I'm blessed. Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon us who believe in Christ Jesus. So my portion in life is not sickness and disease. My portion in life is health and strength. Luke 13, Jesus goes to the synagogue. A woman there is bent over double. Probably rheumatoid arthritis or something like that. Bent over double. The Bible says it was a spirit of infirmity. So even though natural man calls it rheumatoid arthritis or whatever, Jesus called it what it was, a spirit of infirmity. And the Bible says when he saw the woman there, it irritated him, irritated him to see her like that and called her to himself. And then he looked to the Pharisees and he said, this woman has been bound by Satan for 18 years. Ought not this daughter of Abraham be loosed from this infirmity on the Sabbath? What did he call her? A daughter of Abraham. He connected her to Abraham. And he said, because she's part of the family of faith of Abraham, how could she stay this way? It's not her portion in life. And he loosed her because he understood that's not part of our spiritual heritage. You have to see yourself like that. I'm a son of Abraham. I'm connected to Abraham's blessing. What Abraham had is my portion. What Abraham didn't have has no right to be in my life. Abraham wasn't sick. Abraham wasn't a diabetic. Abraham wasn't in a wheelchair. Abraham wasn't uh, uh, struggling with constant flu and viruses. Abraham was supernaturally sound and healthy. So you got to see yourself that way. By virtue of redemption, that same blessing flows into my life. I'm free from the curse of the law. The Bible talks about Deuteronomy 28, 15 through the end of the chapter. Talks about, lists out every sickness. And then it says, even the sicknesses which are not named in this book of the law are part of the curse of the law. And Galatians 3 says, you've been redeemed from that curse. Because God's, the blessing of Abraham has come on you through Christ Jesus, through faith in Christ Jesus. So that means total victory over sickness and disease is part of the Abrahamic covenant, which we have access to through redemption. Abraham enjoyed, not only, I said it before, not only was he healthy, he was supernaturally strong. Genesis 24.1, Abraham was old and well advanced in age. 
You understand that long life is part of the blessing of Abraham? Long life. The Bible says in Genesis 15, 15, God spoke to Abraham. As for you, Abraham, you will go to the grave at a good old age. And you'll be buried at a good old age. Genesis 25, 8. And Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, just like God had said. An old man full of good years and was gathered to his people. Going back to Job. Read the last couple of verses of Job. Job lived a long, good life. The Bible says he lived 140 years after, after the whole ordeal that he went through. So whatever age he was, 60, 80 years old, who knows? He lived 140 years after all of that. That's a lot. The Bible says he lived a long, good life, full of good years. And the Lord had blessed him in every way. Caleb, who was the seed of Abraham, See, he was the actual physical seed of Abraham, but by faith he connected to the blessing of Abraham. We're the, actual, we're the spiritual seed of Abraham, by faith connecting to that same blessing that Caleb connected to. At 85 years old, Caleb said, I'm as strong today as I was when I was 40, to both fight in battle and to go to war. 85-year-old? To climb, a, the Bible says, give me now this mountain, he said. I mean, you gotta think of it. At 85, 85 you're climbing mountains and going to war? And not war where you just shoot a gun. You have to swing a sword, heavy sword, and wear armor. At 85 years old, he wasn't taking his medications and all that. At 85 years old, he had such supernatural strength that he was able to climb a mountain and war against anyone that would oppose him taking his inheritance on that mountain. Moses was 120 years old. His eyes didn't grow dim, and his natural strength was not abated. Some of, some of you watching right now, you're not sick, but you're weak in your body. You're weak. You don't, you don't exude strength. God doesn't want to give you just enough for you to get by. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runs over. God wants to run your, he wants to have your cup run over with divine strength and energy. The Bible says in 2 Peter 1 verse 4, that by the magnificent promises of the word, he has made us partakers of the divine nature. You're a partaker of the nature of Jesus. Jesus was so strong, the, the disciples could barely keep up with him. The disciples could barely keep up with Jesus. And the Bible says that we have been grafted into Christ and have become a partaker of his divine nature. Jesus said, abide in me and I will abide in you. And you will bring forth the same quality and quantity of fruit that I bring forth. Jesus said in John 6, and this is where a lot of disciples left him. This is where a lot of people, they couldn't handle this word. It was too much meat for them to swallow. He said, whoever eats of my flesh, speaking of communion, and I've done a broadcast on communion and the power of communion, the miracle meal, I call it. Whoever eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life. You have to see yourself... As a custodian of eternal life. What's eternal life? It's the life of God. It, just, it doesn't just mean that you'll live forever. It means the life of God. The God quality of life has been given to you and is on the inside of you. And it overflows in your spirit, in your soul, and in your body. It divinely energizes you. Jesus said, when you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have that life in you. And I'll raise you up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood abides in me and I in him. 
There it goes again, that engrafting into Christ, that spiritual connectivity we have with Jesus and his life flow. And then he says this, this is, this is the crux of this all. As the living father has sent me and I live because of the father, he's saying I've been sent by the father and the energy you see me have is a direct result of the, the inflow of God's power in me. When you eat of my bread and drink of my blood, when you eat of the communion and you believe that you're actually ingesting my flesh and drinking of my blood. Now, I don't believe in transubstantiation. I'm not talking about it's the actual blood and the actual. I'm saying you understand what it means when you're symbolically, when you're ingesting those items. Jesus said, as the living father sent me and I live because of him. So he who feeds on me in this miracle meal, he will live because of me. Why? Going back to what I've done this whole broadcast on. Because when you eat of the flesh of Jesus and the bread that was broken, which Jesus said, this is my body which is broken for you. He was saying, when I go to that cross, my body is going to be broken for you. Not only so that one day you can receive a heavenly body, but as a down payment for that heavenly body, as a first fruit of your eternal redemption, I'm going to give you healing. So that's why Paul says, for this reason, you know, talking about the communion in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, for this reason, many of you are sick and weak among you. You don't discern the Lord's body. Some of you, things are firing off right now. There's like lights that are lighting up. You're realizing, whoa, I never connected that scripture with that. Paul said, some of you are weak and sickly among you, and some of you are dying before your time because you've not discerned the Lord's body. You've discerned the Lord's blood. That your sins are forgiven, that you're going to heaven, but you've disconnected the body and the blood. Jesus didn't spiritually die for you. He physically died for you. He physically took on your sickness and disease. Paul said, when you understand the Lord's body and why it was broken, whenever I do communion, I thank God for two reasons. Number, number one, I thank him for the blood. My sins are forgiven. I'm redeemed. Not by perishable item, but by the spotless lamb of God. My sins are forgiven. My lawless deeds, he remembers no more. And then number two, I thank God that not only one day am I going to put on the fullness of my physical redemption, that I'm going to, the Bible says, be as he is. We will see him like he, we will see him as he is and we will be like him. The same substance that makes up the body of Christ, that incorruptibility we're going to put on. But not only that, I thank him that there's healing for me now. And it's not something I got to strive to obtain. It's not something that I've got to believe for one day. It's not something that all in his timing, his timing was 2,000 years ago at the cross. I want you to write this in the comment section. Divine life flows through me. See, the devil wants to keep you from this revelation because if he keeps you from this, you'll always put healing on, on the schedule for a, a later date. And as long as you keep pushing it off and pushing it off and pushing it off, Faith doesn't deal with the future. Faith deals with the now. Hope is futuristic. I hope one day I'll be healed. I hope one day I'll get... Hope doesn't bring healing. The Bible says, daughter, thy faith has made thee well. It's faith that pulls on healing into your body. So we're not hoping God's going to... Well, one day we know... You know, there's a lot of people that say, well, I've, I, I, believe, you know, I heard from God one day I was praying and I just heard the words, I'll heal you one day. That's not God. 
God's not saying, I'll heal you one day. That's totally against all the scriptures. God said, I've healed you already. But you need to appropriate it by faith. You need to accept it. You need to acknowledge it. You need to receive it. You need to start confessing divine life flows through me. You got to start confessing uh, what, what the, the full gospel. We don't believe in a half gospel. We don't believe in a part gospel. We believe in a full gospel. Are you believing that one day you'll be saved and forgiven? No, you're already saved and forgiven. And the first fruit of that salvation is God works in and through you to produce love, joy, kindness, faithfulness, repentance, holiness, righteousness. That's in your spirit. The first fruit of our physical salvation is healing for your body. And we're going to pray right now. I feel the anointing flowing right now. I feel it strong. I feel faith is risen and that people are ready to receive. I feel that there's been an intolerance for what the devil... See, that's what the devil wants. He's a thief, right? He doesn't take what belongs to him. A thief doesn't go into his own house and take down the TV and, and put it in the truck. A thief goes into another man's house. A thief takes what does not belong to them. Satan, the very fact that he's targeted your health shows that it doesn't belong to him in the first place, that healing belongs to you. Jesus said healing is the children's bread. And the woman, the Syrophoenician woman said, Lord, just the crumb can heal my daughter. Jesus was marveled by her faith because she, she, she wasn't saying, I need the full meal. I just need the crumb. Do you understand? There's a parable that Jesus said. He sent out servants to go and invite people to the wedding. And the, the, the message that they were given was to tell the people, all things are already ready. Everything, the table has been set. The table of God has been set. There's been a chair with your name on it. And on the menu is healing for your body. It's forgiveness for your soul and your spirit, for your life. There's righteousness for unrighteousness. There's freedom for bondage. There's liberty for captivity. There's prosperity for poverty. But you got to take the faith to pull up your chair at the table of God and order it off the menu and say, God, I thank you. It's not enough to know that it's available. You, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. I know it's available and it's mine. I want you to write that in the comment section. Healing is mine. Healing is mine. Charles, you said my problem is faith. I don't know how to increase that. I'll tell you how to increase that. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, and I'm not mad at you, Charles. I really want to help you because I hate seeing Christians walking far below their spiritual inheritance. inheritance. How do you increase it? It's very simple. Faith comes by hearing, Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Go look at my, 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 my playlist on my YouTube channel on healing or on victory and dominion over devils. Go and read, go and listen to them all. Go and feed your spirit. Don't feed your spirit one cold snack a week and expect to live in victory. You got to feed your spirit daily. Listen to an hour of preaching a day and watch how in three months your life will look totally different. And not preaching knucklehead preachers that tell you, you know, how I many we don't know why things happen. You know. Preachers that talk the word. Preachers that don't make excuses for a lack of God's power. But fast and pray and read and study and preach the word to see God's power. Let's pray, people.
Because I feel like God's... I want you to type in the comment section. I want you to write out what specifically you're believing, you're believing God to heal you today, right now, in your body. If it's body, if it's back problems, put back problems. If it's eyesight, put eyesight. I want you to take a step of faith and just write down in the comment section exactly. You know, I talked about it on Tuesday night with Brother David Diga, how faith has a target. You have to set your faith for a target. Write down what you're targeting today. And we're not believing for a progressive healing right now. We're believing for instant miracles. We're believing for now, today is the day of salvation for your body. We're believing for immediate workings of the Spirit in your body. The Spirit to quicken your mortal body here and now. We're believing for an immediate turn of your uh, 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 of story, a change of story. We're believing God for like that woman with the issue of blood. I know that if I can touch, I shall be made well. That as we pray and connect our faith with heaven, the prayer of faith is not God, I need to be healed. The prayer of faith is God, I thank you that healing flows through me. When we pray that prayer of faith like the woman with the issue of blood did, we're believing that the same flow of God's miracle working power that hit her body, that a plague of 12 years and some at the hands of many physicians could not improve, could not help, could not assist, will be resolved here and now. The Bible says she felt in her body that she had been made well. I felt in my body, I felt the electricity of heaven run through me. I felt it in my body that I had been made well. OCD had left. Look, everybody's writing. Praise the Lord. I'm going to read them right now. Praise the Lord. Look at how they're coming in so much. Blood pressure, blood pressure problems, uh, back problems, fibroids, type 1 diabetes. For Leo, a 10-year-old, we're going to pray. Growth on my jaw, rejection. Um, I guess that's a form of uh, healing in the heart, which God will heal you of the heart, 100%. Doritos, lower, lower, lower back pain, thyroid problems, digestive issues, diabetes and neuropath neuropathy. Uh, malabsorption, fatigue, bleeding in the digestive tract. Absolutely. We're going to pray. Emotions and, and your knee. We're going to pray for that. Muscle injury, pain, Im immune system disease, autoimmune disorders, fatigue, fibers, sciatic nerve, esophagus, stomach, stomach, digestive issues, diabetes. Again, hyperlipidemia, hernia fixed. Praise the Lord. We're going to believe right now. Upper back, eczema, bladder, teeth. If it's a whole series of, of, of problems, we're going to believe God. We're going to connect our faith. Iron deficiency. Liver transplant. We're going to believe God for a brand new liver in Jesus' name. Back problems. Standing in the gap for my mother's eyes. Absolutely. The centurion servant stood on the gap for his servant. And Jesus sent the word and it healed them. This is, this is why, now you understand Psalm 107, 20. He sent his word and it healed them. Because that's all it takes. It's all it takes. God uses people. Yes, we lay hands on the sick. We do that. But I said it at the beginning of this broadcast. There's a more excellent way. He sent his word. The Bible says, my son, give attention to my word. Keep it in the midst of your heart. For it's life to them that find it and healing to all their flesh. You just got to get the word in you. The gospel is the word. It's the, the epitome of the word. It's the crux of everything God has done throughout the scriptures. So we're going to send the word of healing into your body. We're going to take authority over it. And we're going to believe that the same way 
The moment you got saved, the moment you asked God for salvation and God to, to save you, you were saved on the spot and you were regenerated and renewed and you were born again. We're going to believe God. And as we receive Jesus as Savior of our body today, that same power that was released at the cross is going to subdue and destroy every sign of sickness in your body. Tonsils, thyroid, allergies, blood clots, liver, OCD. Monica, we're going to pray. Depression. That's right. I was healed of obsessive compulsive disorder and depression and anxiety. Charles, anxiety, depression, digestive issues. We're going to do it all. We're going to do it all. Derma, derm, derm, skin problems, arthritis, psoriasis, high blood pressure problems. Absolutely. Hallelujah. Lisa, two new kidneys, brain and infertility for Marviana. Absolutely. We're going to be we're going to be praying right now. So let's pray. Father in the name of Jesus. I thank you. I thank you for what you did at Calvary. I thank you, Lord, that Jesus on that cross, like the brazen serpent that Moses laid what the Israelites problem was, which was the serpents that had broken out in the camp of the Israelites. He laid it on that wooden pole that as he lifted it up, all who looked lived. I thank you that Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the, ser the serpent in the wilderness, so must I, the Son of Man, be lifted up. I thank you, Lord, that if that serpent, that brazen serpent that was a type of what the cross would hold, the power that the cross would hold for us, we thank you that the cross itself holds that much more power. If the type of it had power to thwart off sickness and disease from the people's bodies, how much more shall the actual cross, the actual Jesus hanging on that cross as a substitute in a beautiful exchange produce healing in our bodies right now? I thank you that you're a prayer answering God. I thank you that you're a healing God. I thank you that you've given us authority over sickness and disease you said they that believe they will lay hands on the sick and the sick shall recover i thank you father for the name of jesus that you said if we command anything in that name it shall be done for them by my father who is in heaven i thank you that just as peter and john said in the name of jesus rise up and walk that healing manifested then that that same name holds power today to manifest healing in the bodies of those represented here on this broadcast. Father, you see every single prayer request. I, as a general mass prayer, I take authority. I take authority in Jesus' name. In light of the finished work of the cross at Calvary, over every sickness, blood problems, stomach problems, intestinal problems, migraine issues, brain issues, chemical imbalances in the brain, muscle issues, back issues, pain issues, Blood issues, bone issues. I take authority over, all, over it all in the name of Jesus. And by the finished work of Calvary, let a wind blow every sign and symptom of sickness and disease in their bodies, out of their bodies right now, in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, I loose the healing power of God. I loose the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead into your body to quicken your mortal body here and now in the name of Jesus Christ. Be healed in your body. I want you very quickly. I believe God's healing people right now. I want you to do what you couldn't do before as a sign of faith. Act on your healing. 
Act on it. If you believe God healed you, get up. Get up. Move your body. If it's back issues, touch your toes. If it's feet issues, jump up and down. If it's neck issues, twist your neck. Open your neck. Move your neck. Do what you couldn't do. Act on your on what God has done for you right now. You believe God? Believe him enough to act on what he said he would already do. In the name of Jesus. We're not we're not believing for a progressive healing. It's here and now. Today's the day of salvation. Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to your home. Today healing has come into your body. You're a member of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Whatever is not present in Jesus' body, Jesus' flesh, Jesus' bones, has no legal right to remain in your body, your flesh, and your bones. It's gone in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. It's eliminated. It's uprooted now. I want you to write this in the comment section. Jesus is the savior of my body. Jesus is the savior of my body. Make that confession. Make that confession. If you are feeling, if you're feeling the power of God on you right now and healing's been released into your body, you feel different. There's, there, there's a notable thing that's been done. I want you to put one in the chat. Just type one in the chat. I want to see. I know God's doing something. I know this isn't for nothing. I know that you can't send out God's word for an hour and 40 minutes and not have, not have notable miracles done. Look at that. Ashley Martinez, Joshua Bates, they put one already. If you're feeling God, touch your body right now. Don't do it to boost my self-esteem. I already got good self-esteem because <laughs> I'm in Christ. I want you to do it because you actually feel if you had to be subpoenaed in court and stand on trial, you, you, no, no, I can, I can attest. God touched my body on June 23rd, 2022. Look at that. Look at all the ones. Look at all the ones. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord. I'd love to hear your testimony. I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you. I want you to go on my website, salvationnow.ca. Contact us. Write into me. And uh, if you don't do it that way, go on Instagram. DM me. I'll check my DMs today. And over the, over the, 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 the next couple of weeks, I, I, I really believe God has healed people now and will heal on the replay. Look at all the ones on YouTube. Praise the Lord. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.